Today I want to uh, not necessarily read one specific portion from the Bible, but if you would open the Bible at 1 Corinthians chapter, well, 1 Corinthians we'll read selected portions from the whole of this letter as we will uh, try to answer what happened in Corinth in terms of the spiritual gifts of the church. We are in a mini-series about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we first looked at Ephesians chapter 4, where we learned that the church must operate as a body, where all members of the body work together as Christ gifts them. So it says there that we work together every bit, and... uh, We support the whole body. Then last week we had a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and there we learned from God's Word that the Spirit of God gives gifts to His church as He determines, and that these gifts are for the benefit of all the members of the church. These gifts are given in diverse measures as God determines and might not be static. What do we mean by that? It might change as circumstances change. We can't read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14 that what happened there will happen in every church for all generations to come. The mere fact that we don't see that happen in our day Uh, stresses that point. There are people within the charismatic churches who one might argue and uh, look at those chapters in a different way and they say, we've got it wrong. Now, there are lots of things that we've got wrong. We need to search God's Word over and over again (coughs) to make sure that we've got it right. But circumstances and times change. And therefore, the the, the gifts of the Spirit of God are not static in that sense that it will remain exactly as it happened in Corinth. As a matter of fact, it is the only church that we know about in the New Testament also where these things really happened. There are a few things that, of course, we know that Paul mentions in Romans chapter 12, for instance, the gifts of serving, the gifts of leading the church. He also uh, refers to that in Ephesians chapter 4, where he says that Christ has given to us uh, leaders within the church. Um, But he also says that he gives us, all of us, enough so that all of us as we are members of the body could support the work of the church but never or nowhere else is it spelled out in so specific terms in such specific terms as to what the gifts are as it is spelled out in first corinthians my question is this if it is only mentioned in first corinthians And if we want to build a whole thing about spiritual gifts only on two chapters in the Bible, 
we need to be careful in that sense that we need to be sure what the context of those two chapters in the Bible are. Because if we don't understand that, we might in the end try to apply things that are not applicable for the church of our day. I'm going to make a wild statement here now. And I might, I might be shot saying that, but I'm going to make a wild statement here. And that is that when I study the Bible, and more specifically than the letters to the church in Corinth, I'm under the impression that the Lord allowed us to see these letters in the Bible, not, as, not for us to see what a church should look like, I think the Lord explained to us now in these chapters in the Bible, these two letters, of what a church should not look like. It's not a model church. We'll try to work that out. It's not a model church in any way. Corinthians was a problem church. We know that Paul wrote more than one letter, more than the two letters that we have in the Bible to the Corinth church. It is possible that he wrote actually four, but we are most, well, about 100% sure that he he wrote a third, which probably has to sort of fit in between what we have with the first and the second. And that letter is referred to as the letter of tears, because Paul had a lot of weeping about the church in Corinth. They were not the model church. So if I make this statement this morning, go and test what I'm saying against the Word of God and help me in understanding this. But the statement that I want to make is this. The letters to the church in Corinth are included in the Bible for us to understand what the church should not be like. Can the church in Corinth indeed be taken as a model church? I say no. Well, the point then is, if this is the only letter in the Bible referring to the gifts in the way in which it's referred to there. And these gifts are not even hinted to in the rest of the Bible in the other churches that Paul wrote to. Why is it so? Is it perhaps so that Paul dealt with the gifts as they presented themselves in Corinth because of the specific spiritual climate in that congregation? And if so, should we then interpret what he says to the, contra- uh, the uh, Corinthians of, of our, for our day, and how then should we understand that, uh, even for our church, our congregation? It is true that Paul's first letter to the Corinthians contains, that's the one that we will look at today, an extended exposition of spiritual gifts. <clears throat> and, I, and I already said to you that Paul mentions gifts, some gifts in the letter to the Romans, but the list there is by far not so comprehensive. As a matter of fact, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you have to read very carefully to actually 
work out that he's talking about the gifts of the church. So to understand the context of this description of 1 Corinthians, one has to understand the background of the church in Corinth. Now I'm going to try to explain and not overemphasize things that might not be applicable to all of the Corinthian city, but we will understand something of it. First of all, we look at their social life. The city knew every type of religion in its pluralistic society. They were also a synagogue. There was also a synagogue and a sizable contingency of Jews in that city. Corinth was known for the Isthmian Games held in the stadium uh, in, in that city, a big one, in alternate years. These games were second in popularity only to the Olympic Games. There was an outdoor theater accommodating 20,000 people. That was an arena also for uh, the games of gladiators and contests with wild beasts. There was also a smaller indoor theater, maybe seating about 3,000 people for those interested in plays and music. Now, that in itself is not a sinful thing. Just thought I'd mention that to you. Corinth was there at a hub where people from all over the place, from the west, from the east, over the sea, over land, came together. Corinth was a harbor city, and it knew all the things of a harbor city. Now, what the spiritual life in Corinth is, is, is concerned, about two centuries after the Roman devastation of Corinth, many of the old religion of that area were again flourishing at the time that this letter to the Corinthians were, were, was written. And new other religions coming to the city too. Now, I don't want to overstress the point, but I don't think that we are far much behind, if we are behind, perhaps a bit ahead of, 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 uh, of Corinth, if you think of the big cities in our, own, in our own country. They come with, everyone comes with his own religion. It's nothing uncommon to go into any part of Melbourne, for instance, to find temples, Hindu temples and, and, and Muslim temples and uh, call it, you get it, it's there. And it does rub off on the way in which people live. And therefore Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, For although there, there are many so-called gods in heaven or on earth, that's what he says. He says, you think that according to your city there are so many gods in heaven and on earth? He says, there's only one God, the Father from whom all things are and from whom we all exist, one Lord. Jesus Christ, whom are all things and through whom we exist. You see, we think we have a problem these days to explain to people that there are not many gods. Paul had that same problem. He had the same problem. 
You think that Melbourne is the only one with a, or Sydney, or even Kerrangful, you know, uh, where people think that there might be more than one God? Now, Paul had that same problem there. And Paul had to stand up, and he says, well, there's only one God, there's only one Jesus Christ. Now, someone writes and he says there was about a temple for any other religion and any other God on about every street corner of Corinth. So they were a fairly religious people. The problem is just they did not believe in God who created the heavens and the earth. Now, the most familiar was the worship of the goddess Aphrodite. Aphrodite was the patron goddess of the city. She was worshipped at several sites in the city for many reasons, including, including then all uh, the, sol- the sailors who come from all over the world and the ships anchored there, and they worshipped her. She was the goddess of uncontrolled passion that leads to rape, incest, lust, and sexual unrestrained, you could call that free if I may use the pulpit in this, uh, saying this, free sex. She presented the abandonment of sexual and social restraint. We, f- uh, we find she was a hotbed of intense jealousy, rivalry, hatred, and she is one of the most uh, uh, convening of the, of the ancient God. She represents a complete surrender to sexu- sexual lusts and... Uh, and, and in, that includes adultery, complete sexual freedom, and going into extremes even of incest and lesbianism and homosexuality. Being a lover, Aphrodite uh, was known for her treacherous nature of betrayal of others. She had a very a definite vanity problem in which she wanted to be known as the most beautiful woman in the world. Much of the stories of, uh, of her revolved around her ego, which was, according to herself, then tremendous. <clears throat> she had a thousand prostitutes working in around her temples. You can just imagine a thousand prostitutes in a city where soldiers and people come from all over the place to do their business. It was a horrible city to live in. That was not the only thing, and there was, of course, the god uh, um, uh, Poseidon. He was the ruler of the sea. He had a very large temple at a nearby village. And then there was another temple to uh, Asclepius, the healing god, and his daughter, including uh, lodging facilities, baths, swimming pools, covered porches, and many who came to the temple seeking healing, uh, and they brought uh, body parts along with them. You know, sometimes, of course, not real body parts, but uh, um, some parts that they got off, off, off statutes or something. And the whole idea is that they would bring these offerings and so that they'd be healed. There, were, there was also, of course... Uh, uh, another few things like uh, Dem- uh, Demeter and also uh, another fellow god called Kore, uh, 
don't even know about him. I read up, up about him, a good thing, and we don't know about all these things. But point is, there was a lot of gods, and people did not necessarily think it was wrong to have a, some gods, and they could worship hundreds of gods at the same time. It wouldn't make any difference to them. But the main thing was there the, 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 the worship of uh, Aphrodite and what she brought and, uh, to the city. Therefore, there was a lot of moral depravity. As a matter of fact, there was a word to describe the fact that you were actually act the Corinthian. You know, it was a word they used to say, you act the Corinthian. It's like the same word that you might refer to today as we refer to the sodomites. You, know, you act like a sodomite. And if you act the Corinthian then it means that you were committed to fornication. Corinthian was a seaman's paradise and a moral cesspool. Divorce was rampant. Prostitution plagued the streets, and the moral air was polluted with this luring aroma of sin. So, it was a wicked city. Now, the question is, why is it that, or is it so that some of these things were rubbed off into the church? You know, some people, of course, became Christians because of the gospel call, and they came into the church, and the question is, did they bring some of that into the church? Let's put ourselves in that situation. We would like to think that, yes, in some way our worldview is brought into the church, isn't it? Now, let's look at a few things, and that's where I want you to open the Bible and follow with me. First uh, Corinthians chapter 1, we read that they were a, quarrel, a quarreling church. If you read with me, First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. <clears throat> My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. The other, I follow Paulus. And another, I follow Cephas or Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. What they mean is, I, I follow Paul. I like Paul better than I like Apollos. Uh, now I know I don't. I like Apollos. He, he's my man. Now I like Peter. That's the safest there. I like Peter. I, I like the way in which he preaches. He, he, he sounds like a good man. And the others say, "No, forget about all people. I just love the Lord." Now, in itself, that sounds like perhaps not a bad thing to say. I only love the Lord. But the point is, people say, "Well, I'm not coming to church." I don't want to have anything to do with Paul. I don't want to have anything to do with Apollos or Cephas or anyone. I'll just worship the Lord where I am. You know this story. It is rampant in our church and in our day today. Same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, where, it's talk, uh, where it talks about the same thing. If you turn to that page, where he says, verse 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? He says, what's the difference between you and non-Christians in this matter? That's, that's what he says. For one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not mere men? 
And then he continues to work out to tell them that one is the one sent by God to sow, the other one plants, the other one waters. So it doesn't matter. But they were a quarreling church. Then if you look at chapter 2, it takes us to verse 13. The apostle then says, there is a thing in, in, in the church that you look at this church from a worldly point of view. Worldly wisdom. And he says, when I come to you, I come to preach nothing else and know nothing else but as Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is what we speak, verse 13, chapter 2, not in words taught uh, us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truth in spiritual words. They were dragged along by philosophies of this world, and anyone who had a good philosophy and could have had the gift of talking about that, they were following that man. And Paul says, I don't have that, but the only thing I have is the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what I preach, Him crucified. It is not something that it's, it, it makes sense in terms of the world, but it makes sense in terms of the spiritual world. Then, of course, um, they were a church of spiritual immaturity. Uh, and then we read there, I gave you milk. If you uh, once again look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, where he says, um, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. Spiritually immature people. They have not grown in their faith. Now keep this in mind when we say these people come from this wild city. They brought into the church quarreling and division. They brought into this, world, into this church some worldly wisdom they wanted to follow. They brought into this church this idea of spiritual. They were spiritually just not developed. And therefore, then, they were also pride. If you want to turn to chapter 4, and we read there in, in uh, verse 8 to 11, and much of what the Paul writes here is, rung, is, is written tongue on the cheek with a bit of, with a bit of uh, sarcasm. Uh, read verse 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. Already you have what you want. Already you have become rich. You have become kings, and that without us. How I wish you really had become kings so that we might be kings with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like men condemned to die in an arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You see what he says here? You're a church who doesn't understand what it means to be, to be humble before the Lord. Oh, we've got everything. We can do it. So it's a pride church, a church that didn't know what it means to really follow the Lord Jesus Christ as Paul did. Then, of course, it was a church harboring moral depravity. 
the moral depravity of the city rubbed off on the church. In, in Paul's letter then, um, the, probably the one that got, that got missing, he warned the Christians to not associate with immoral persons. His warning was not heeded, and in his second letter, that's the one we have, the question pops up again, and read to me just the next, letter, uh, next chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you of a kind that does not even occur among the pagans. A man has his father's wife. You see, that came into the church. And they did nothing about it. The church leaders did nothing about it. Now, can add to this the immorality of prostitution, homosexual and adulterers. We'll get to there when we get to chapter 6. Then you go to uh, verse 11 of chapter 5, and it says, there's a church that lacks discipline. Verse 11, it says, But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slanderer or a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. (coughs) They did nothing. They thought nothing of it to have such a man as a member of the church. It's a church that really lacked the discipline. Then you look at the next chapter. There were lawsuits among believers. The Christians in Corinth disgraced the church by dragging one another before the ungodly magistrates for settlement between them. They cheated and wronged one another. And therefore, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 6, but instead one brother goes to law against another, and this in front of unbelievers. The apostle had to warn them in verse 5, I say this to shame you. It's a church also where they had a huge problem with marriage. It seems like their questions about marriage leave one with the impression that they did not understand anything of the Old Testament about marriage. And if they did, they completely disregarded that. And chapter 7 deals with their problems about marriage. You can go and read that. It touches questions like abstinence, divorce, unions between believers and unbelievers, sexual relations outside of marriage. Then, of course, they were a church who sacrificed to idols, food sacrificed to idols. It's unbelievable. Uh, Chapter 8. You see, we're going through one chapter after the other, and one chapter after the other is a problem within this church. And I ask myself, can we take this church as a model for what happens within the church, and specifically the, the spiritual gifts? I'm beginning to build up a picture and say, no, not so. In chapter uh, 8, it says, uh, uh, the going thought then was that Christian idols uh, uh, to Christians was that idols were nothing, and therefore Christians are free to even eat the food sacrificed to idols. Go to uh, chapter 8, verse 4 and 5. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we we know that an idol is nothing in in, in all the world, and that there is uh, no God but one. For even if there were so-called gods, whether in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is only but one God and Father to whom all things come and from whom all things we live. But there is one Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And he said, you go into the temples, you become Christians, and then you go in back into the temples where you come from, and you eat the food that they sacrificed there. That's what they did. Eating, in these, sacrifice, eating these sacrifices, they did not show Christian love and compassion. Because there were other Christians who just became Christians, and they saw the so-called mature Christians do things that became a stumbling block to them. And therefore, Paul says, you are a stumbling block to the weaker brother. You disregard the weaker brother. It was a sin against the weaker brother, but it's a sin against God. And then in chapter 9, they, of course, um, questioned the apostleship and the authority of Paul to even talk to them about these things. As a matter of fact, the whole Second Corinthians letter deals with this problem. So there was this church, they they disregarded anything that Paul said, and to them Paul was just another man. He was not a man sent of God. And then we go to chapter 11, and uh, there's an issue of uh, the imp- Im- uh, uh, improper worship, and there, were, uh, there was not the proper place ascribed by God to men and women or to husband and wives, as discussed then in chapter 11. They were probably women who could not make peace with the fact that uh, uh, men have a God-ordained authority over them. You can just imagine in, in a city like that where you had a thousand prostitutes and the only thing they did was try to lure men in. And, and now all of a sudden the Paul, Paul comes in there and he said, women, you just keep quiet in, in the worship. And they said, what do you mean? Yeah, we've got the right We've got a right. And, and I think we see something of that happening in our society again. When uh, it comes to communion, they had disorderly communion. And you look further in chapter 11, you'll see that um, when they got there and uh, communion was set out of the table, instead of waiting for one another, those who got there first got stuck into the bread. And they, and they actually ate everything before others got there. Uh, it didn't stop with the bread. They got stuck into the wine too. By the time others arrived, they, they were drunk. You think that I'm just joking? Go and read that. That's what happened there in that church. And then, of course, they did not even, ha- not only disorderly communion, but there were a huge problem with the spiritual gifts in chapter, tw- chapter 12. Then chapter 14 tells us about disorderly worship. Some spoke in tongues without someone to interpret. Others had a prophecy, but they prophesied simultaneously. At the same time, it was just like unbelievable what went on in the church there. So that Paul writes to them in chapter 14, if you'd like to go there. Chapter 14, verse 23 to 24. 23 to 24 of chapter 14. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some who do not understand or some believers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? You see, people walk by and they heard what was going on in the church and they say, we better stay away there. Why? Because these peace people have lost it. It sounds like they're mad. He said, on the, in the contrary, if someone, if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody's prophesying, which means that if you proclaim the word of God, whether through singing or, or, or reading the Bible, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner 
and he will judge by all and he would say, God is really amongst you. When you carry on in the church, it's just disorderly service. It sounds like a madhouse. Have you been to places like that? I've been to places like that. And it takes a lot of self-control not to walk away and run away from it. And some people say, this is where the spirit moves. Paul says, it's a madhouse. If that was not enough, you turn to chapter 15, and, and some of them actually questioned the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Paul says, how is it that some of you say that the Lord Jesus was not resurrected? How can you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So you've got a whole list of things there that I, that I put there on the, on the announcement sheet. That Paul had a problem with this church. And if I look at this, I say, while well, we just went across this as cursory remarks on, this, on, the, on the spiritual climate within the church of Corinth, you will agree that this church was by no means a model church. Would you? Would you say that, well, what happened in Corinth, especially when it goes about the spiritual gifts, we need to listen what they say. And I say, be careful. And that's what the Apostle Paul does in a very, very pastoral way. He takes them through the whole thing. He had, he, in some cases, he said to them, you want me to come there and, and, and really whip you with the Word of God? Or do you want me to come and encourage you? He wanted to, he wanted to get to them. He, he really wanted to say, well, you are a church of God. You are God's holy people. That's he calls them in chapter 1. You are God's saints. But you better start acting like God's saints because there's not much difference between your temple and the temple around the corner. If this is what happened there in their churches and their temples, don't let that happen in your church. And therefore, he uses the, 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 uh, the uh, picture of God's church being the temple. Now you understand why he says, we are the temple of God in chapter 3 and verses, uh, chapter 6. We are the temple of God. Not a temple like those go to worship in, but we are members of this temple. Each of us are members of the body of the Lord Jesus. And therefore, we need to act as people who have met the Lord Jesus Christ, Him crucified, who have turned their backs on this world and cannot bring into the church anything that looks like the world that we have left behind. And we better grow up. Spiritually, we have to grow up. We have to turn away from worldly things and start thinking like God thinks with His mind being our mind. That's what He says. And therefore now, when we go into this next week, and if the Lord allows that to us, we'll go into the spiritual gifts more, more, more deeply and ask ourselves, what in this is still applicable for the church today? And what and how should we answer those who are carried away by all forms of so-called spiritual gifts? which might not be honoring God. Now, I've not preached a sermon to you today. 
and I apologize for that. But I hope that through our study that we've just run across this uh, uh, first letter to Corinthians, you would understand something, how to read that. So I, I, I would like to think that you get home now and that you read through that whole letter once again. And read and see how what the Apostle Paul wept for the church in Corinth. And he wanted them to become so much more Church of Christ. So go and do that and also pray that the Lord would help us to be Church of our Lord Jesus. Let us pray. Our Father, we pray now that as we have looked at, very briefly looked at 1 Corinthians and the problems that plague the church there, Father, we pray that you will help us to look at our own congregation and give, give us the grace and the mercy to not point fingers before we have searched ourselves. Help us, Lord. To be humble, to walk with you, to love one another as you've loved us, to love your word, and to do your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.